We acknowledge the traditional landowners of this country. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. We would particularly like to acknowledge the traditional landowners of the land on which we stand. I am on Wiradjuri land. Tam stands on the land of the Dharawal people and Laurie on the land of the Tarabal people. We express our great gratitude in sharing this land with you. Remember our disclaimer, materials and content in this podcast are intended as general information only and should not be substituted for medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pelvic Health Podcast. In this latest episode, we get to speak to the infamous Sue Croft, who is a pelvic health physio in Australia. Anyone in Australia will know already who she is. And if you don't know, you are, of course, about to find out. We can learn a lot from Sue Croft. And what we chat about in this episode is things like burnout, about career pathways as well, because of course, there are many options of which pelvic health physios can take these days. And through that, we get to hear from our very own Laurie Fauna, who of course has chosen a different pathway for herself, a very good one indeed, much to her dismay, of course, because she does not like being the one interviewed. Of course, she prefers to be the interviewer, but again, we can learn a lot from the choices she has made as well. So I hope you enjoy this latest episode. We'll get into it now. So I was thrown into pelvic floor rehabilitation um, right before I found out I was pregnant. So it wasn't because I had any issues. And the only thing that was available was one weekend course. So that was the only name that I knew in the field, except for yours, right? Sue Croft and Sue Croft was in Brisbane and uh, there, there may have been one other person. I actually can't remember their name, but your name has been like so prominent in my mind for so long and to watch this legacy that you have created grow over the years and then call you my friend has been brilliant. Um, And not only have you been running around, you've got, you've had your own clinic for how many years now? Um, I've had my own clinic since 1991. So 1991. Yeah. So yeah. (laughs) Long time. I had the absolute pleasure of running some classes for you within your clinic. It's just the timing didn't work out right, but it was so beautiful. Um, You are such a brilliant writer. The blogs that you write, um, I don't, I mean, you've written books as well, and we'll put the link to the book and the updated versions of the book. Um, But your writing is is so brilliant. I'm like, oh man, you you also need to do a PhD um, as well. You speak <laughs> at conferences and you've advocated for your patients and our profession so hard for so long. And you were finally recognized this year when you were awarded the Order of Australia Medal. And I just wanted to briefly touch on the three points and you can add more, but for people who are listening who don't know what that is, the um, kind of qualities of people who are um, chosen to get this medal were demonstrated achievement at a high level tick. We already knew that made a contribution over and above what might be reasonably expected through paid employment. Um, and it says, or, but you've done all of these whose voluntary contribution to the community stands out from others who have also made a valuable contribution. Holy moly. Welcome. Amazing. Oh, gosh, I didn't even know that, Laurie. You've done some research and I didn't even know. I just sort of 
got the email in September and thought, whoa, wow, what, where, where's that come from? And so uh, it was, uh, yeah, I did not know that. I knew it was the, I knew that it was for my contribution to community through my public health physiotherapy work, but I didn't know that there were those criteria. So, you know, well done you for telling me. <laughs> well great. done you for doing all of this um, and just paying, you know, not just our patients back, but again, our profession as well. And um, if you've been on this podcast before, so we'll also put the link of an episode that you did long ago, um, but you are back and we're having, an, we're going to have a good conversation about some things today. Thank you for having me back again, Laurie. It's great to be here and great to be here with Tam and uh, Joe and, and yeah, like I just feel uh, very, very happy and privileged to get the opportunity to have a view about this. Yeah. It's a new experience. Yeah. Yeah, I think so much. So, so many of our colleagues can learn so much from you, Sue. Obviously, you have um, just made such a mark, I think, on our profession. And, you know, the longer you, I suppose, work as a clinician, and you've been working as a clinician that whole time, right? Not just oh, yep. no. not running your business, not just no, running no, your business. No. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing patients. Uh, yeah. Look, I think I, I am very bad at some things. So I, when I run my business, I miss doing the patients. So I'm really bad at sort of prioritising the running of the business. So I tend to do that on weekends or at night or badly, not at all. Like I just, you know, keep saying I have some wonderful staff who do things for me and, you know, Meg will do something and send it to me and then I think, oh, I've got to look at that, I've got to look at it and then, you know, Three weeks later, I still haven't looked at that beautiful thing she's created for me to help me. So I'm not very good at doing that because I do, I really am a knockover in terms of the, the girls say to me, look, I've got this lady and she's in tears and she's really upset. And can you, can you see her? Because I have this thing that I'm not taking on new patients just so I can see my old patients. And uh, what I've done is now, you know, I have, I'm really quite firm about it, but, you know, they tell me a story and I think, oh gosh, yes, I've got to try and help her because I think, and you know this girls, when you know you hear a story or you read a letter and you think, I know what to do with this lady. And mm -hmm. she's been around in a lot of places. She's been to a lot of places and not necessarily women's health physio, but, you know, we, they end up with us and we know that we can do something to change their life. And, and oftentimes it's enormous stuff that we change their life. And it's, so it's that ability to just say, yep, I'm going to forget about that bit of paperwork and I'm going to see this lady and help her. So, you know, I'm really bad at saying no to patients. Mm. Hence the Order of Australia Medal. That's right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I did, I, I have said before that it, yeah, last year was so diabolical that I really mm. thought it was a reward for making it through. And <laughs> when you're as old as I am, you could have the opportunity of retiring because you sort of, they keep saying, really, you haven't retired yet, you know, but you know, I didn't want to. Like I really couldn't see a reason because I love doing what I'm doing and I love I don't feel like my head's clouding over yet and I still can remember things, a lot of things, and some things I don't. But I just didn't see the point of retiring because I find so much pleasure and reward from coming to work each day. But, you know, it, it you know, when you're around long enough, then, then you get the opportunity to get these things. But last year was a taxing year and 
Whereas the beginning of the year, I might have thought, yeah, 10 more years, five more years, whatever. Like I thought, if I get to the end of 22, this is going to be a miracle. So it was a very challenging year. And I, when I got that email, I thought, oh, I think this is a nice little reward for a survival of the fittest in 2022. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously last year was challenging. So many years before that, you've been going and we hear a lot of stories from lots of, I suppose, younger physios that we're in contact with and mentor and they're getting burnt out early on, right? Um, because because of the, I don't know, because of the empathy maybe, because of the complexity of the patients that we see and the problems that they have. You obviously, maybe bar last year, <laughs> have been dealing with that so well. Do you have any tips for our colleagues who are I listening? Do, I, do. I do have some tips. So, um if you come, no one would like my room. It would be embarrassing to have a, a an organised physio come into my room because my room is filled with lots and lots. The walls are filled with lots and lots of things that are replenishing my, you know, sensory cortex, my homuncular man. I'm getting lots of homuncular refreshment every day because I look straight ahead and I've got my daughter's wedding, which was I remember is such a happy day. And to the left, I've got Vanatsa, the photo we took when we walked down and we first saw the village after it was really hot. And I've got that photo here. I've got Mont Blanc over here, me walking with the hiking sticks. Behind me, I've got another, you know, daughter's wedding. So I've got anywhere I look at any time in this room, if I'm deep in a day, and, and I think we can all agree that over the last five years, the complexity of our patients has just gone through the roof. Mm, absolutely you know COVID might be one thing but I think it was it was intensifying before COVID but I think COVID has introduced a whole new element and not to I'm not talking about COVID and its effect on our practice but COVID the effect on the patients and the patients their pain is upregulated and we'll go through that in a moment what you know they're dealing with in their family life and their work life but you know, I have lots of things here that I just look at that and I remember that day and I just get a little flush, little flourish of joy, a little bit of remembering that was happy. And that's what I'm teaching my persistent pain patients as you are. You know, we want to do lots of things to counteract that cortisol adrenaline that's always feeding down and then causing their pain to upregulate. And so what we want is lots and lots of dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin, sort of things that generate those nice, happy hormones that make us feel better. And so if I am glancing at that and remember that and remember why I'm here, I'm not here to feel overwhelmed by my life. I'm not here to feel overwhelmed with my patient list or how busy the morning is or my boyfriend did that or my daughter did that. Like I'm not in, interested in that. Like my patient's not interested in it and I'm not interested in it. So that's why I use work as a real grounding space so that if I'm having a lot of stuff going on in the outside world, I come in and I feel in my comfort zone. And so sometimes I do share because it might be an appropriate story. I do a bit of share storytelling because firstly, it helps the patient to understand, oh gosh, you know, this person, you know, they lost a loved one and they, something went crazy in their family dynamics with that loss. And that grief does that. And so that helps them understand that I've got first person, um, first Reese, I know what's going on for them. And I might have something worthwhile to say about that and how to deal with that. But, you know, it's really important when you come to work, if you're feeling burnout because you're seeing your sixth or seventh or 20th pain patient, 
like if this pain patient is your first pain patient that they've the first person that they might have got help from. There's no point in, you know, unraveling in front of them and saying how bad everything is and gosh, I can't cope with this because that's of no use to them. What you need to do is be totally focused. And I think if you I always sort of try and focus my attention on what they've come in about and stay focused on that, even if there's a little narrative running behind the scenes, like, oh, my God, what was that? What did that text just say from whatever? You've got to keep your focus on your patients. And if you're really feeling that burnt out, then you have to have some time out because it's not good for the patient to be trying to feel like they're sort of semi-counselling you as well while you're actually in there in you're trying to help them but they're giving you some counseling advice or they're you know they don't really need to know about how your life is going I think is an important thing yeah only in if it's got value in to ground them and understand that other people have this and these are the things that you might try because they do work yep I love that I love the pictures yeah awesome idea yeah, it's right. not pretty though. I've been in some other clinics and they look very pristine and the desk is very clear and I, I'm too embarrassed to show you. Well, you can see on one wall. I, I can see it too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's also over there is a lot. I have a friend who's an OT who specialises in going to funny cards that relate to what I do. Like there's a, well, I have a lot of very funny cards. that. All is that a vulva? To- I, I was like just going to ask that. Happy Vagina Day it is. It's yeah, a okay. day. It's Happy Vagina Day. So it's, uh, you know, she just delights and she comes up with an amazing number of uh, of these cards. So, but, yeah, I, and I think being, if if you show that as soon as a patient walks in, you get engaged with their life, you know, and they say, they sit down and and I say, how are you? And they say, oh, I'm not too good. And, you know, for some people, they might think, oh, God, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I don't want to ask them why mm. they're not too good because you know it's going, what's going to unravel. And so but that might be the key to actually finding out what the cause of this upregulation of pain is about. And so, you know, when you start just asking them what happened, you know, with that situation and then you say, you know, you can always bring it back to why perhaps their stress has escalated and therefore their persistent pain has escalated. And then and I say to them, and they're often sitting really upright and their legs are wrapped around each other three times and they're, they're, they're talking very, you know, fast and very articulate, you know, hands and gesturing. And I just say, oh, look, let's just try sitting back in the chair, let you legs go apart let's let your tummy go we're going to sit like a man we have a bit of a laugh about that you know how easy they get it and you know men don't have to have this really flat tummy like we do we we don't have to have their legs together and so I introduced that talk about how the pelvic floor is the first responder and so even that little path down to ask them what went wrong that day that moment when they came in and they weren't good is leading you straight into some really invaluable education about how we can change things up immediately. You know, eight times a day for one minute, I want you to do some belly breathing, sit like a man, drop your shoulders, do a quick body scan. You know, I I get them to shrug their shoulders up to their ears and I say, look, for the next minute, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to let your shoulders go. I just want to finish this bit of a story. And, you know, of course, by the end of a minute, you know, they can barely hold their shoulders up. And I say, and that's what you're doing with your pelvic floor all the time when you're actually you know, engaging everything so strongly in response to all these stressful events that are happening in your life. So it's really that thing of, 
you know, really saying when they walk in that door, you are totally focused on them 100%. And um, so in terms of the other things I do, I do try to laugh a lot. You know, I, I've, this is about me back to how I deal with uh, lots of not getting burned out. I, you know, everyone knows I post lots of things on Facebook and everyone thinks it's for their benefit, but it's so I can find things. And, you know, on my Instagram <laughs> page, I have a little, lots of little, like I've got, you know, live things I've got you know, 2022, 2023, and I've got one for dopamine. And so all the funny things that I find and put on Instagram, I then save in my favourites in that little dopamine thing. And so I've got 20 things. I can say to a patient, look, you just need to learn how to find something that will make you laugh in 10 seconds flat. And so I show them the first one, which is hilarious. And What's that one? What is it, Sue? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> on my Instagram page. It's one where the lady is very carefully what, scrubbing down the kitchen bench, wiping it all up, and her husband comes along with his protein powder and sprays protein powder everywhere. And then she, the next bit is she's got his head and she's wiping up the protein powder <laughs> with his head. So, you know, oh, with the head. Yeah. Laugh. Everyone laughs at that one. And so they come from being miserable and sitting there almost in tears or in tears. But I show them that and they know they can generate a laugh. And and so they understand that, you know, that laugh makes them feel better and laughing makes me feel better. And, you know, I have a communication network that I, you know, we have a group of, of very talented women's health physios from around the world that we communicate on a regular basis. And so that's our place to do some really important nerdy stuff where we talk about, oh, have you read this paper? And then we comment <laughs> on that. And then we also have this space where we can say, oh, my God, I'm just so sick of, you know, whoever in our lives or whatever's going on, you know, and we've, we've, I won't vomit it, it's a horrible, I vomited that up there. And then everyone says, oh, that's so sad. So, oh, that's so bad. Yeah, and it gets, you, gets your affirmation from your group and then instantly you feel better. So yeah. it's that ability to just let go of some of the stress in your life and not bottle it all up. And that's that's what I do a lot. Yeah. Do you find swearing helps? <laughs> I, I <laughs> never swear. I don't swear, you know, she says laughingly. Um, no, swearing helps a lot. And I'm very lucky that in that group of special women, um, you know, no one takes offence at a bit of swearing and definitely is it's comfortable. But I've been known to put things on my Instagram page that are a bit sweary too. And I just give a warning and say, look away now if this offends. So, you know, I think it's, it's uh, good because it, sometimes you just feel like you need to do that. And that's why I don't burn out. So anyone who's feeling that that's not good, you know, maybe you, that's why you're burning out. You've got to relax a bit more. Love it. Like so it laugh, up. swear, <laughs> fill your room with vulva images. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Lots of lots and lots of things. Don't don't take yourself too seriously. I think it's a really yeah. important piece of information. I mean, seriously, I have been a physio for such a long time that the evidence about whether you have an episiotomy is <laughs> going to help you or not help you has changed five times. You know, whether you use a birthing stool, you don't use a birthing stool, and like we get so pumped up with all our evidence and. 
you know, I think the important thing to understand is your evidence is only as good as the, till the next research it shows it's not so good. So I think it's moderation in how when you're presenting evidence to say, this might change, but at this point in time, this is what the evidence tells us. We want to be scientific, and I think that's really important to base everything we're doing on science. But I think also just say, you know, how you deliver that information to people is really important and, you know, not to didactically sort of say, if you don't do this, you're an idiot. But I said, you know, when I've got difficulty, and I, I sometimes feel like a UN negotiator, like, I'm saying to someone, you know what, I there is some there's some evidence that says you can drink caffeine and it won't affect your bladder, but there is other like lived experiences in many women's lives that caffeine does irritate their bladder. So why don't we do this scientific experiment for a month where you actually cut out the, the caffeine and then at the end of the month you decide it's not up to me, it's up to you. And you know, the more UN negotiation, we're, one of the things we know is that, you know, going just in case a lot is going to be a problem. Um, you know, local oestrogen, like the amount of, of gentle nurturing towards that end goal of, yes, it's a hormone which might is locally um, uh, popped into your vagina and, and has very good evidence to say it's going to help your overactive bladder, it's going to help your urethral closing pressure, it's going to do this and that. And yes, it's not linked to any dangerous cancers and there are some not too many bad side effects. So you're always negotiating with patients rather than just saying, do this or you're silly. You know, I think that's a really important yeah. thing in terms of being uh, an effective physio. Oh, I agree, Sue. That's their mm. choice. You just give them all the, all the stuff, you know, yes. and, and you give it and that's that. Yeah, yeah. their decision. Yeah. Mm. But I think selling, selling that message is really important. How you sell it is can make the difference between whether they're going to consider doing it or not. And so, mm. you know, that selling is the important thing. And you do that based on the person that's sitting in that chair. You know, you've already got a little bit of information, so you just know what their strengths are already and they're, they're not so strong about accepting information is. Yeah. Sorry, Joe. No, that's right. That's nice soft skills to add in there. Mm, exactly. I just thought that, um, yeah, the idea of choice maybe is a nice segue into discussing pathways within our profession um, and perhaps opening up that idea that, you know, we as pelvic health physios and those coming up have a choice with which way to go. Um, Laurie is paving one certain pathway, which, Sue, perhaps you want to chat to her about and discuss that particular pathway? <laughs> I, I do. I, for a long time, have wanted to get behind the microphone and ask Laurie some questions because she's such a humble person. And I really feel like it's a pathway. I, I love what Laurie's doing for our profession where she's exposing our previous um, fears about um, weights and certain types of exercise and with evidence proving that, you know, we don't have to be so across the board, um, you know, didactically just, saying you mustn't do this and you mustn't do that. And, you know, she helped me change that. Like I'd like everyone to burn the first book of my, you know, Ghani surgery. <laughs> I, I found it very, uh, you know, as soon as I sort of, whenever I look at it and people say, I've got book one, I think, oh, my goodness, here's the bonfire. Let's pack that one in there because, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's what happens is as I think it's important as a physio, you've got to grow through the years. 
And I think that the feeling of learning, but back to Laurie, like Laurie is diving deep into that. And I think what a PhD does is it allows you the ability to do that. But I'd like to hear from Laurie, you know, what are, what are the, what is the process that you've, you know, what, what has been, what's been the best part about your process of doing your PhD and, and exploring this area? So first I thought we were talking about your career pathway and it has all of a sudden switched to me. <laughs> it was really fast, guys. Thanks for sneaking that in there. Um, I don't know if those are questions really we should be asking in someone's last year of their PhD because the headspace is not in the, um, it's not, I'm not in the greatest spot right now, but again, that's just life. It happens. You know, when you said you wanted to go down this pathway, you know, has it turned out to be not not about the process, Laurie, about the the exploring? I mean, just the opportunity to read and dive so deeply into the area, and you're so well read now, and you're so good at you know bringing to your fingertips. I mean, it must have really allowed you the opportunity to um to to just really understand what's going on when women lift weights and when they're doing exercise i mean you, you would hope so right but the more and further that you deep into the research the more questions you have and the one thing that you wanted to answer you realize you can't because now you have a hundred other things you have to look at before you can actually answer it but i'm one of those people where I need to, I struggle with um, knowing everything about every topic. Like I love learning, but I can be really focused in one area. And then when I have to learn the next area, I can be really focused, but then I forget everything else that I've learned. Um, so I like, I've liked this opportunity to be able to focus on one pretty specific area. And in part that came from patients, right? Where you're listening to them and there's, um, a lot of professionals telling them that they can't do certain things. And I'm a bit of a rebel where when I hear can't, I'm like, well, why not? And we don't really have the evidence telling women that they shouldn't do certain exercise. Um, and so then I went, okay, well, maybe that's a really good way of looking into it. Because when I started this, which was, I mean, almost, it was maybe eight years ago. And obviously you have to apply like the year before. So it's it's almost been a decade. And at that time, like our profession pathways have changed so much there. I didn't feel like there was any other option that I don't think there was a lot of options at that point. But I also, again, thought, oh, if I can just dive into this one topic and start to look into it, um, I would, I would love to answer this one question, which again, I'm not sure I can answer <laughs> yet. So do you feel like though you're do you do you don't look back and regret that you've done this? You think that the process has still been worthwhile? Because I what I see is that and and I think the message I want to bring across is that you know we all have a lot of skills. And I think finding what your skill is and you identifying the fact that you do better when you, you know, you don't have to focus on so many things. And I think that's a big problem. Like what I was teaching and in public health 35 years ago is like it's a joke compared to what we have to do now. And that's probably why younger physios might feel a bit burnt out. It's been a gradual, slow boiling of the frog for me that you just think, oh, my God, I feel like I know, you know, my head spins sometimes with how many journal articles I've got to read or to, you know, there's another area we can help. But 
you know, I think that, you know, you doing this ability, having this ability to dive deep and, you know, it, it's got to be put out there a lot more as another pathway. You know, there are lots of pathways and everyone's got to choose what they can either do themselves or afford because some of the pathways are really, really expensive and you know sometimes people's circumstances are just not such that they can do it it definitely it definitely again has changed um you mentioned like regretting it and it's so hard because again it's been such a long period of time that i am quite happy with the place that i'm in like i've had amazing opportunities to meet brilliant researchers, academics, people learn the use of the ultrasound, which was never really in the plan from the beginning. So I remember when I first started thinking, yes, it, I'm going to do it part-time. It's going to take me eight years, but I mean, I'm still going to get older in eight years. Like there's, I think it was from Brene Brown who was talking about, you know, why say no to things or not to try them because eventually you're going to get older anyway. So it's always been about the journey. It's never been about the end part. And I think maybe that's what is sitting slightly uncomfortable with me is the end is coming. And I'm like, well, I didn't want it to end. I just wanted to keep going. Like, can I do another PhD? <laughs> no. Um, but it, and look, every, there's so many places that offer PhDs and every um, person's not just ability and privileged position that they're in to be able to do it, but how they can get into the programs are so varied and so different. It, it happened, it almost happened by chance. Again, like another privileged position. I knew people that were there that were supervisors. We had a chat about similar, really interesting kind of concepts and things. And they said, you should do your PhD. And I was like, oh, that could be a really good idea. Let's look into it. How do I do that? So, you know, I had to apply. I had to you can do it here in Australia um, where you're doing it um, as like a paid, um, I can't, it's, it's like a sponsor. Yeah. I can't remember if it's called a, a sponsorship. Is it a stipend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you can get paid to do it and do it full time, but you can't get paid to do it part time. And I, did, I didn't want to give up the clinic. Um, I've got, you know, had young, my daughter had just started prep when I start. So my daughter just graduated primary school and I started my PhD when she started prep. Uh, she graduated <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, you finished before me. This is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but so she, I had to be able to do most of the drop-off, most of the pickup. My husband, you know, he's the one who works full-time. He's also the cook. He like does the fine, he is my rock. So I've had that fortune of him being able to pick up where I have dropped every other marble because I have dropped most of them. Um, so, but I had to be able to work at the same time, but within that process, you then see people who are, you know, I thought academia would be, I wanted to get away from some of the competition that's happening, you know, in the research, in the physio profession and social media. And I, attempt to stay off of it because a lot of the times it doesn't make me feel good. But in academia, well, that's even more so. And you <laughs> oh, really <laughs> oh, it's worse. But then oh, you watch no. these people that are like traveling and going to conferences and promoting their research and getting grants and and all these things that you go, but I still have kids and I got to drop them off and pick them up. And I also have to work in the clinic. And I can't just go, I can't just go on that weekend and then fly somewhere and do all these things. And then you just see all the things that you're missing out in. And I'm like, oh, I mean, it's, it has been a ride. And within that there's then tragedies and illnesses and the plans change. And you just, 
Like I, I've always had to take a hat off and put another hat on and be okay that I've left that unfinished and then move on to this next one and switch back and forth. And I've kind of thrived in that environment for a really long time. But if it's just perimenopause or whatever, it's just starting to like. But, but <laughs> I think Lauren, what you said is really important because, you know, that was the problem why I, I was in a hotel room a long time ago when there was, we had a big group meeting with all the women's health physios. And it was about the fact that women's health weren't producing, our physios weren't producing research. And I was there the day that Trish um, Newman who did uh, talked about, you know, she probably formulated her, her plans for the research that we use all the time about the value of using pelvic floor muscle training and all the things that go with pelvic health physiotherapy to manage stress incontinence and to give those good results that we quote all the time. And so, you know, I was there that day, but we also have, you've, you've outlined what happens in real life. Like in real life, really your children are really invaluable parts of your life. And look at me, like you can work for a long time my kids are 38 like they're almost you know they're old and I'm still feel very, fairly competent and like you can work for a long time so I think prioritizing choosing to prioritize your kids and your family and all that is totally fine and we mustn't feel guilty about it and if we can't afford to do those other pathways we can't afford to do that but we are a good clinician and we can help people I don't feel we should feel diminished in any way because we we can't do that. And I think that's what we've got to, as a profession, take a little step back and think, do we want to make people feel less worthy by actually not being able to do any sort of formal pathway? But there are less expensive pathways now that people can undertake. And then, you know, we have really quality, so much access to so much quality um, training now through Taran with uh, Women's Health, through um, Tam and uh, Joe's clinic where they do training. There's so much there available. And I really encourage girls to not feel like they've got to abandon their young children and rush off and do this. And if they don't do it, then they're not worthy of being a very big help to their public health patients. So I think it's that thing of just we've got to strike a compromise so we don't make people feel bad if they're not choosing to one sort or one uh, another. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. But thinking of like what is your purpose of doing that other pathway that you choose? Like if it is the end letters and numbers and results, I mean, honestly, it's probably not going to change anything. Like that's yeah not why I'm doing it. That's probably not why other people should do the choices that they make. Again, it's more about if you're really wanting to kind of learn and get involved with certain things, I think there's so many different avenues. And even in the research world, like you, I think when I started, I didn't think that you could be involved with any research unless you were doing it through the university. And I have over the years seen, and I will, I continue to see people start to um, be involved in collaborative research projects and they haven't even done their PhD yet. And they're getting on these really big, beautiful papers with really big, beautiful journals. And yes. it's been their ability to contribute and learn without actually having to go down that pathway. And some then continue to choose to then go down that pathway. But if you're interested in research, you're also not stuck in then having to do some um, official pathway as well. And, and the other really good example of that is Joe Milios. And Joe has really just attacked 
her area with a total passion. And she's seen things because she's seeing, doing things and trialing things with patients and she's following through. And then she's gone down that path in a different way to get her PhD and she's done it. And, you know, hats off to Jo because, you know, many would have felt thwarted because it wasn't traditional. And so I think that thing of being brave and I think Mm. that, you know, brave bravery comes in lots of ways. And I think, you know, not being um, sort of restrained by a certain way of doing things. And, of course, our premise must always be we must do no harm. And so I'm not suggesting that you go and say you're a public health physiotherapist and you really don't know what you're doing. And I really encourage people to always think, I don't know what I'm doing with this patient, but she's come in, she thinks I'm going to help her. You know, don't sort of, it's all fine to say, look, I'm going to help refer you on to a colleague or I'm going to just, you know, do some more in-depth research. I'm not sure what I'm doing about this problem. Don't just blithely go on and and do what you think you know is right when you haven't got a clue. Um, But I think we've got to just be more relaxed and broader thinking about the fact there's lots of ways people learn and being in the clinic and learning day after day after day mm. with your patients mm. is invaluable. It's a wonderful, a wonderful experience. If you just learn the online content versus, of course, seeing patients after patient after patient, the application of your knowledge is just, yeah, so valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about ways of, you know, gaining pathways and understanding and mm. not an intended plug, Sue, at all. But these two, Joe and Tam, have created this beautiful community where they do <laughs> online mentoring and in-services and they provide this community where people can get education without having to go down these other specific pathways. So that wasn't wasn't intended to throw it in, but that it, it's really important because it's within the conversation that we're having. <laughs> Thanks, Laurie. Well, I think because the intention behind that is to offer support to those mm. physios who are learning by doing. They're learning through their patients um, and they genuinely always are worried that they're not doing a good enough job. And so um, we offer that service to be able to go, you can come to us. We want, you know, we sometimes, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, Tam, but sometimes like, oh, gosh, can't I just see this patient? You know, they're really complex, but we don't. We go, you know what, this is complex. We're going to walk you through this because the best way that you can learn is to, you know, is to do this and um, get the experience under your belt, uh, we think anyway. Well, that's certainly how I learn. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And I think that one of the really important things when you're with a patient is that to give them that idea that you are listening intently to them. And so even if in that stage you think, I don't really know what to do about this, you've got so much information you can impart that is really probably tied up with it. And then you go and chat to Joe and Tam or, you know, Nat McConaughey, who's got a mentoring service mm-hmm. and other people who have them. I mean, I think we all have to realise that wherever we are, you know, if we're sort of revered up on some sort of pedestal, you still can't see everybody in Australia. And, you know, there are so many people who are in need of what we have to offer. And I think that why I write my blogs is about the fact that really, you know, so many people have these major terrible things 
and they sit on them for years and years and years. And I know that there are lots of people out there in Australia, public health physios, who can actually help them. So they don't have to actually, you know, they, I don't write it to get people to my practice. I write no. it so that everyone can know they can get that help. But I think we've got to come away from this idea that there's only a handful of people who've got the ability to truly treat people. I agree. Filling everyone with confidence so that they can be brave to give it a go and be brave enough to ask for help when they don't know and be brave enough to even tell the patient that they don't know, but they're going to find out. (laughs) I still do this. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you're not kind to people and they're learning from you, they're new, they lose confidence and then they might cover up things and they might not come for help. Um, but also they might give up and that's Mm. a tragedy if they give up being a public health physio just because someone's been unkind to them in the way that or the way they feel the way they are made to feel about their skills and so everybody can get better at their skills and you know it's really important just to bring everyone along maybe that um, very word just solves the two big issues that I think we're facing in our profession that, that have come up subtly already. And that's one, this sense of competition that just mm. shouldn't exist. And two, this sense of pressure that, you know, people are feeling around pathways and education and titles and all of that. And maybe it is just comes down to kindness. Let's just all be kind. And in the end, we'll do a better job for our patients. And then we'll help more yeah. women. <laughs> and I think, you know, coming back to that prioritising where you are in your stage of life mm. so that, you know, you when you're living with three-year-old, five-year-old, seven-year-old or teenagers or whatever, like you just think, oh, my God, when am I going to get out of this stage? And But when you're out of it, if you're in the teenage stage, you look back longingly at the three-year-old and the five-year-old behaviour and, and when they're teenagers, you look back, you know, when they're 20-something and they really don't want to know as much as you'd like them to know about you, you know, you look back longingly at the time that you could have had better communications with your kids. So I think, you know, you, you it's really important to be keep upskilling, but you can upskill really seriously every time if you make a point of reading one paper that's posted mm-hmm. on Facebook every day and read yep. it properly, um, you, you can learn a lot. You know, there's a million bits of information that are, are thrown around there. And so, you know, make a point of just reading something new every day um, from that. And, you know, people who don't understand about what comes from Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, they all just roll their eyes because they have no idea. Like I, I read, I can't even remember what it is, of course, but I read something incredible, <laughs> some incredible paper yesterday and then I threw it out to a couple of Eurogynies that I work with and I say, yeah, what's this about, you know, with this mesh thing? And then they do their nice analysis from their perspective and they shoot some information back to me. So, you know, learning is just like I know I'll be dead the day and I've stopped learning. And I think if we all, it can't be again on this pedestal saying you know everything mm. and making everyone else feel inadequate because, the reality is nobody knows everything and and if you say you know everything, you just don't know what you don't know. So I think it's this really important thing about saying I'm always in a constant state of learning, always my whole life I'm going to be in a constant state of learning. And the second thing is, yeah, be kind, 
And I think if you're kind to patients, because I don't know if you know the patient who comes in and, and she sits and I say, sit down in that chair. And she goes just with the new one and she says, sorry, sorry. You know, and then she starts apologizing. She sits down and, and I move something off the desk and she goes, because she put a bag there, I just move it slight, an inch to the right. She said, I'm sorry, sorry, I put that there. You know, you know instantly so much about that person that they spend their whole life always apologising for their mere existence. You know, I've had a 20-second interaction and I know instantly I've, that's what I've got to work on. You know, I've got to work on the fact that, you know, you've got to be kinder to yourself because you just, you know, it does, I don't tell them straight away, but I know instantly there's a problem there because they, they've, they've been made to feel somehow that what they, a lot of what they do is wrong. And, mm. you know, I, I hate the fact that as a profession, sometimes I feel like that's what we're, we're doing. You know, I mm. really want us to not be doing that. Yeah. They could just be Canadian. We say sorry a lot. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Constantly. So just double check. <laughs> I think this is such an important, beautiful discussion. I know that you've been wanting to talk about this for a long time. Um, and like I said, I think it's important and it's really cool and beautiful to see how much has changed over the years that we have so many more options and opportunities to continue learning. We sure have. Yeah, that's right. It's very important to to accept and acknowledge that. Yeah. And, you know, education is the cornerstone of what we do with our patients and education has got to be the cornerstone of how we live our lives and, and how we choose to do it. And in any space that we have at any one time is important. Yeah. Love spoken it, from the spoken so from good. the woman with the order of australia yes Adela. that's it you should <laughs> listen but we will let you go thank you so much for joining us and giving us all of your wisdom and not thank you for talking to me but you know <laughs> <laughs> leave that part out <laughs>